It's April 19th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. A good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. Well, it is day four of what I thought was a cold, but it is actually COVID. Uh, that's all right. Not even China's virus can hold me back. No, sir, no, ma'am. I still have four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First, a group of black communist radicals in Missouri and Florida were charged yesterday by the U.S. Department of Justice for coordinating operations with Russia, all to interfere in U.S. elections. I've got those details. Second, the mayor of San Francisco says that she does not support a new $50 million office to coordinate reparation payments. And it's probably because the city is broke. I'll share the latest. Third, we pivot to international news with an update on the wheat wars. That is the fight to get Ukraine's wheat out to global markets in the midst of a war with Moscow. Well, this morning, not a single kernel of grain is going anywhere. I'll explain why. Finally, a new leak from those documents out of the U.S. Pentagon shows that the Chinese are developing an advanced surveillance drone powered by rockets. I'll give you my analysis on what it means. Later, we close out the right report with an email from a listener who was not happy with me and my analysis regarding U.S. boots on the ground in Ukraine. So I'll share with you what he said and I'll respond. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. In the late hours of yesterday afternoon, the U.S. Justice Department announced charges against four members of a black communist group who was working with Russian intelligence to influence an election in the United States. Right? The four are based in Missouri and Florida and, in fact, are well known in the St. Louis community. In fact, as reported by the St. Louis Public Radio and an outlet called AFP, The four people are leading members of the local groups called the African People's Socialist Party and the Uhuru Movement. Both groups are radical black nationalist movements who demand that America become a communist state. They also demand that we reform or abolish all police departments and we provide reparations for slavery and racial discrimination. Well, as of this morning, these four individuals with the ringleader, by the way, uh, his name is Omali Yeshitela, right? They were charged with acting as unregistered agents of Russia, right? All told, they face a maximum of five to 10 years in prison for their dastardly crimes. And speaking of, let's talk about the indictment. The four black radicals, these folks, they actually took money and propaganda talking points from a U.S.-based Russian man named Alexander Ionov who in turn was being directed or handled by Russia's intelligence service, FSB. So by the way, that propaganda talking points that they got, it included media efforts to sway local elections in St. Petersburg, Florida, and to convince the people of California to break away from America. Then they also did this. They tried to change the 2020 presidential election, although details on that are a little bit slim. So here's how the Department of Justice described their crimes, quote, today's announcement paints a very harrowing picture of Russian government actions and the lengths to which the FSB will go to interfere with our elections, plus so discord in our nation and ultimately recruit U.S. citizens to their efforts, end quote. 
So one final thing to note here, one of the accused, that fellow who I mentioned earlier, Mr. Omali Yeshatella, actually had his house raided last summer in regards to this case. But what's interesting is that back on February 8th, the St. Louis's Board of Aldermen, which is sort of like their city council, well, they were debating a bill to make St. Louis a sanctuary city, and they actually discussed this raid on Mr. Yeshatella's home. And they used it as an example for why they should refuse cooperation with federal officials. But as it turns out, well, allegedly, anyway, he was no victim here at all. He was a black nationalist, communist, Russian agent. So those are the facts this morning. Let me now pivot to my opinion and analysis. And let me ask you a question. Have any of you heard this story? Because as of 2 a.m. this morning, I can't find it virtually anywhere in the mainstream press. So I happened to find it in a media outlet in France called AFP. Then I found some historical reporting in both Missouri and in Florida. So the point is, that's really odd, right? There is this sort of radio silence on these arrests because, look, it has all the ingredients for breathless coverage that we have seen repeatedly since the 2016 presidential election. We've got the Russians doing naughty things, you know, recruiting spies in the United States. And in fact, they're trying to throw elections. And there's not just, say, one Russian spy here. We've got a cell or a den of them, four in total. So why isn't this being covered? Well, let me ask you a question. If the accused in this case were white nationalists, working with the Russians to throw elections. Do you think that the media would cover it in that case? Well, I don't know what the answer is to that question. I'm going to let you decide. But here is a fun experiment. Do an internet search for these terms, white nationalist Russia, right? You will find thousands of articles and videos and news coverage on this threat. But for this one, we've got four black communist radicals working with the Russians. Well, we got nothing. Crickets. At any rate, others might not be talking about this, folks, but guess what? We will. And that's because we should discuss and debate these arrests, especially what it means. And, you know, how many other radical leftist racial groups are there in this country who are doing the same thing, whether that's on behalf of Russia or China or any other nation that seeks to do us harm? Right? We shouldn't avoid this issue or these arrests because the criminals are black. More to come. All right, my friends, let's now move on to our second brief of the morning. And we're going to continue with the topic that I just raised in the first brief, and that's the issue of reparations. So the mayor of San Francisco late yesterday said that she would not support the city spending $50 million this year to set up an office to hand out reparations. But that actually runs counter to the demands of the city council to, well, do so. And all right, as they bicker, there is one obvious reason for why the mayor is reluctant to move forward with this $50 million plan. And that is the city is kind of broke. So here's what we know. According to the San Francisco Chronicle, Mayor London Breed announced yesterday that she opposes a $50 million funding request for a new office that would be in charge of implementing racial reparations for San Francisco's black community. So there are quite a few different proposals that the city is considering, including one that would grant each black resident $5 million. 
Well, yesterday, as the Board of Supervisors was meeting, one councilman asked the mayor which proposal she would stand behind, including his proposal to fund a $50 million office that would eventually hand out the reparations. The $50 million, by the way, would be used to secure office space, hire staff, build databases of likely recipients, and so forth. Well, Mayor Breed responded by saying, quote, I have no plans at this time to support your proposal, end quote. Instead, she said, she will wait until this summer when all the proposals have been completed and submitted. But that is not good enough for the councilman or supervisor, as he's technically known. His name is Shaman Walton. He is now considering to rally his fellow supervisors to pass his law with a veto-proof majority. Now, as all of that debate is happening, there is just one itsy-bitsy issue. Uh, The city of San Francisco is all but broke. As noted yesterday by the San Francisco Chronicle, the city is facing a $780 million two-year deficit. The reasons for that include recent increases in pay for city workers, oh dear, plus lower-than-expected property and business tax revenue which critics say is because the city has high crime rates and open-air drug markets and a lack of police. Now, to that last point, at the meeting yesterday between the mayor and the supervisors, the mayor did say that she continues to support something called the Dream Keeper Initiative, right? That's a program that steers tens of millions of dollars away from law enforcement and instead sends it to programs that support the black community. All right, so that is the latest out of San Francisco this morning. I'm not going to offer you any opinion or analysis on this one. I'm just going to let you sort of just sit and absorb the facts. And you decide whether America should fund reparations, generally speaking, and whether, frankly, you're going to be visiting San Francisco anytime soon. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. Now, most of you likely won't hear any ads over the next couple of minutes. So enjoy the ad-free experience, and we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue our briefs this morning with a pivot now from domestic news to international events. So first, an update to something that I previously have called the wheat wars. And that is the fight to get Ukraine's wheat and other grains out of that war-torn country and into international markets. Well, as of this morning, virtually none of Ukraine's agricultural goods are going anywhere not through the Black Sea, and not into Ukraine's neighboring countries in Europe. And that spells some pretty serious trouble for Ukraine, especially for its farmers, but also for taxpayers like you. And that's because the White House and Congress have committed $113 billion of your dollars for the war effort, including, and maybe you didn't know this, but here you go, we are paying not only their farmers, but also for their pensions and their social security benefits. All right, let's talk about what's going on. And for this one, you might want to grab a map, either in your minds or on your cell phone or your computer. And as you look at that map, let's start first at Ukraine's southern coast on the Black Sea. And if you look further south across that body of water, you will see that it bumps right up against the country of Turkey and the city of Istanbul. And it's in that city where the Ukrainians, the Russians, and the United Nations agreed to set up a sort of an inspection checkpoint of sorts as part of something called the Black Sea Grain Initiative. 
So that was and is an agreement that was signed last July by all the well, the aforementioned parties to get Ukraine's wheat, uh, sunflowers and other crops out to international markets. And the goal of this deal was to prevent global starvation or, well, at least that's how it was framed. And actually for good reason, because historically Ukraine's wheat and sunflowers went to poor nations in places like Africa, the Middle East and Asia. But, well, we have a problem. That Ukrainian grain isn't going to those parts of the world. In fact, what data show are that it's all going to Europe and to China. So that's leading the Russians to claim that the deal has been violated. And, uh, well, they sort of have a point. (laughs) So Moscow wants to renegotiate the entire deal. Well, Ukraine doesn't. And now, as of 2 a.m. this morning, no grain ships are moving anywhere in or out of the Black Sea. All right. Meanwhile, look at your maps again and take a look at Ukraine's neighbors to the west. Well, last summer, before the grain deal got signed, those neighboring countries started opening up their borders to Ukraine's wheat and other agricultural goods, all with the promise that those goods would be sent off to those poor African nations and such. Well, it turns out that that didn't happen. Not exactly. Again, it got bought up by European buyers because Ukraine's wheat and grain are so cheap as compared to the stuff grown by, well, their own farmers in places like Poland and Romania, Hungary, and Slovakia. And as I briefed you on April 5th, that's led to Europe's farmers sitting on more than 40% or more of their crops. They can't sell the stuff. Their markets are just gone. And so they're outraged, right? And that takes us this morning to our update as flagged by Bloomberg News late yesterday. So in the past two days, the governments in Poland, Hungary, and Slovakia have all banned the importation of Ukraine's wheat. So here's how Ukraine's major ag producer called AgroTrade is describing it. Quote, all trade inside my country has stopped. One cannot sell a ton of grain to anyone anywhere. Trucks are now stuck at the border with Europe as other countries will not accept them. End quote. All right, so that's the latest out of Ukraine. We're getting no wheat or grain leaving that country by land or sea. All right, I'm going to give you just some brief analysis. I think it's fair to say that the wheat wars are not going well, right? And the reason is that Europe has undermined the entire premise of the deal, right? That grain was supposed to go to poor nations, but instead buyers in Europe have snatched it up because it was so cheap. So clearly the whole deal just needs to be updated, but that actually requires Ukraine and Russia to, well, agree on something. And that's a little bit of a stretch. Now, to be fair, it did happen last summer, so it is possible, but (laughs) good luck, right? Ukraine is planning to launch a counteroffensive against the Russians in the next couple of weeks. All right then, so why should you care about all of this? Well, This issue of the wheat wars, it means that we could see a global supply issue of wheat just like we did last summer, which would likely lead to higher prices at the grocery store for you. And that's especially true because countries like France are in yet another drought this year and their grain crops are likely to suffer. That, by the way, is according to reports from Reuters News Service. So I will be watching this one as closely as I can because this could have lots of ripple effects all around the world to include in your local grocery store. With that, let's now take you to your final brief of the morning. 
So we are going to stay abroad for this one with an update out of China that comes from those leaked top secret documents. Of course, those were put on social media by a young National Guardsman a couple months ago. I briefed you on many of those details on those documents just this past Monday. Well, this morning, we've got some pretty sobering news on a new topic. China is developing a high-altitude spy drone that travels at least three times the speed of sound. According to a top-secret leaked document, as shared by the Washington Post, that would dramatically strengthen China's ability to conduct surveillance operations to include during war with the U.S. over Taiwan. So here's what we know. The National Geospatial Intelligence Agency has revealed in satellite photos from last August that China has made considerable advances in technology to a rocket-propelled reconnaissance drone at an airbase about 350 miles east of Shanghai. So here's why this drone is different. It can reach speeds of Mach 3, which is an upgrade from their other drones that can only hit about Mach 0.6 or Mach 0.8. Plus, while this drone isn't known to be designed to launch attacks, it could certainly be modified and may have been since last August. And if so, that's going to put a lot of countries and troops in harm's way with this otherwise stealth drone, including the U.S., South Korea, Japan, and countries all throughout Southeast Asia. By the way, Beijing actually introduced these things back in 2019. They're called the WZ-8 drone, if you want to look at pictures. Well, at the time, back in 2019, a few analysts considered that the drones would ever be fully operational. But, well, here we are, fully operational. And that, folks, wraps up the facts and data on this latest leak out of the U.S. Pentagon. And I'm just going to offer you this analysis. So, look... China is playing to win on every front, on every level, in every industry, right? They are resolutely dedicated to taking on the United States and securing what they believe is their rightful place in the world, right? And that is the leader of it. So this isn't just about retaking Taiwan, right? This is really about just bit by bit establishing supremacy over the United States and dominating global affairs for the benefit of the Communist Party. And just to be clear, communist ideology. And given our first brief of the black nationalists who are avowed communists and have cells in this country working to bring it down, all right, I think that the threat is real because it's not just about that group of black radicals or this one drone, right? What we see is a clear and consistent pattern that Beijing is working hard in every corner of the world to defeat us including right here in America. Just as you, in fact, probably heard me talk about yesterday with that battery factory in Michigan. So that's why former Intel officers like me and so many others who have worked against these guys view the Chinese communists as a clear and present danger. And that is why we want to defeat them before they defeat us. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this next break, which will be ad-free for now. And we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. I got an email from Stefan in Ontario, Canada. And he did not like what I had to say about the U.S. having boots on the ground in Ukraine. So here is his feedback. When you say that the U.S. has boots on the ground, don't you think it's important to always tell the number and the function 
of those people? Because otherwise, as a listener, I get the wrong impression, right? Maybe these guys are Navy SEALs, but maybe they're just there to repair vehicles at the, at the embassy, right? And their number, that's also essential, right? How many American boots on the ground are there, right? Is it 30? Is it 40? Well, if you acknowledge that it's one of those low numbers, then all the fuss that you're making about the presence of Americans in Ukraine seems just a little bit ridiculous. Well, Stefan, I sincerely appreciate the note. And if you know anything about me, it's that I'd love good, reasonable debate. So thank you. Well, first, you're right. I would love to know exactly how many American boots are on the ground in Ukraine. And I would love to know exactly what they're doing. But I'm not allowed to know that, and neither are you. And that's because our governments in Washington, D.C. and in Ottawa won't tell us. In fact, your government in Canada last summer shamed reporters from the CBC for daring to report that Canadian Special Forces were, in fact, operating inside of Ukraine. Your Ministry of Defense said that reporting that kind of material was putting lives at risk. Meanwhile, my government in America, they're doing the same thing. But here's the deal. We deserve to know and debate it and decide if the war in Ukraine is worth even one dead man or woman in uniform. And by the way, you downplayed the fact that 30 or 40 special forces guys could be in Ukraine, right? You viewed those low numbers as no big deal. Well, let me just remind you of something. Back in November of 1955, the U.S. government sent just a handful of advisors to South Vietnam and just to offer some advice and assistance. By 1961, President Jack Kennedy authorized 500 Green Berets to assist with, well, obviously, special operations. He also granted the CIA and others to conduct clandestine warfare. So, in other words, it started small. Where did it end? I think we all know the answer. So the point I make with great respect is that once you open the spigot on conflicts like this, there are powerful interests who want to keep that spigot flowing of of men and weapons and money. And it may feel like a righteous cause, especially at first, but if you're not exceptionally careful with very strong leadership who has a very defined set of goals, it can very quickly become a disaster. And I believe that disaster accurately describes and defines our involvement in Iraq and Afghanistan, two wars where I had friends who died, and maybe some of you all did too. So I would really, really like to avoid another generation of young people from suffering that same fate. Right? I'd like to have more debate this time around. But it is awfully hard to have that debate if the White House or your Canadian Prime Minister bury the truth and won't let us have the debate that we all deserve. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.